At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we kick off the new year, we invite you to tune into our current series, The Forgotten Virtue, Learning to Love Again, where we'll discover how God defines love, Christ personifies love, and the Spirit empowers us to love one another. Together, we'll experience healing and hope in the love God designed for us, a love we carry through every season of life. Happy snowy new year. I want you to know that it happened to me just a few weeks ago, and I'm pretty sure that this thing has happened to you as well. Reed and I were driving to church together. He was going to be serving, uh, running the sound, and I was going to be preaching. And so we left our house. We had grabbed our, uh, our breakfast bar. I'd grabbed my coffee, had the backpack, had our phones. We were ready to go. So we get in the car. Many of you may not know this. We live down 59 in Highland. And uh, we were on our, on our way, and I got about halfway here, and I had that sinking feeling. You know what I'm talking about? That feeling where you're like, I, I forgot something. Kind of impacts your whole body. Your mind is kind of messed with you, and you get that kind of thing in the pit of your stomach. And that's when I turned around, and I realized that I had forgotten something rather important. I forgot my shirt. That sounds weird, doesn't it? I didn't forget the shirt I was wearing. I was actually wearing a shirt, but what many of you may not know is that I typically don't wear the shirt that I preach in on the way here so it doesn't get all wrinkled and all that stuff. And so, unfortunately, we were driving down halfway here right by Meyer. We had to turn around and head back home so I could grab my shirt. But that happens to all of us, doesn't it? Maybe not the shirt part, but we forget things in our lives, don't we? We get ready, we think we have everything all set, we get on the road and we forget things. But it's not just us, is it? I mean, if you hop on social media or if you visit your favorite news site, it sure seems like we have forgotten something in our culture, and it is a very big thing. It's not some trivial thing that maybe you and I have misplaced. It is something large, something like love. I'm guessing if you go to those websites, you go to your news source, you turn on the TV, we see a lot of examples And none of those are filled with love. And so that's what we're going to be examining today. We're going to seek to realign our lives in accordance with God's Word because God's Word is going to guide us into what it truly means to be loving. So before we open God's Word together, let's pray. Gracious, heavenly, loving Father, We acknowledge you today that you have invited us here in the midst of a beautiful, snowy morning to drink deeply from your word, to receive the truth that's on its pages. God, we acknowledge today that in spite of what's going on in the chaos in our world, in spite of the lack of love that we see on our TV, on our websites, maybe even in our own lives, We pray today that you would minister to us deeply. That your spirit would guide us into the truth today as we open your word. That's what we need for our souls today is to hear from you, to hear from your word. 
So God, give us eyes to see the truth that's found in its pages. Give us ears to hear this truth. And then humble, humble hearts before you that we might live this truth today, in the midst of our family, in the midst of our friends, in the days and the weeks and the months and even the year ahead. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we are jumping into a new sermon series, and it is based on John's first letter, the Apostle John's first letter. The series is titled The Forgotten Virtue, Learning to Love Again. Now, the context of 1 John is important for us. You know I love context, and so it's very important for us because oftentimes when we read a Pauline epistle, what we find is that Paul or the people he's writing to are under some sort of intense persecution. Not so when we read 1 John. What we're finding in 1 John is a group of people that are not under persecution, and they're not new believers. This is a people group that has likely been journeying in faith for some time. So their struggle is similar, perhaps, to what you and I face today. Now, specifically, John is addressing two kind of primary issues that are facing this culture. There's a turning away from sound doctrinal truth. And then the second thing is this kind of complacency of heart. Sounds like our culture a bit, doesn't it? So what John does is he writes to this first century group of believers to challenge them, to encourage them in what it means to walk in faith. So let's grab our Bibles. We're going to be turning to 1 John. You will find that on page 1021 in your ESV Bible. Again, 1 John chapter 2 is what we are looking at today. We're going to pick it up right there at verse 1 and then read uh, through verse 11. 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Here's what the apostle writes. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours alone, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps His word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says He abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which He walked. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in Him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is actually still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother and abides in the light, in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness, the darkness has blinded his eyes. 
John is writing to those he loves and to all who read this letter and he's giving us really clear, concise direction on what it means to be a person of genuine faith. To be a man, a woman, or a child of genuine faith. And in this first section, he's broken it down actually into what I'm going to describe as a pair of tests. Two tests are in this text. The first test is the way that our faith influences our daily lives. Your life and mine. It is the first test. The second test is the way that genuine faith influences the way that I interact with you and the way that you interact with others. Let me put these tests in another framework. First, you have the moral test. The second test is the social test test. However we choose to approach it, what the apostle has given us is guidance and rich truth to examine our own spiritual life. So let's do that. Let's do it together. We're going to read that, se- that segment again that we began with, that first section that gives us the first test. It begins with, with verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His word in Him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Now remember, John was writing to a a group of people who were wrestling with some faulty doctrine. They were wrestling with apathy. What was going on in this culture was the, the teachings of something called docetism, which really what the docetist would do is they would suggest that Jesus had come and it was, he was just a spirit being. He wasn't an actual person. He wasn't an actual body. It was just a, a spirit being. And so they could make all sorts of weird claims because of that viewpoint. And these people were starting to question their faith a little bit. And the other aspect to us for us to consider is the apathy. Now, many of us might understand this. When you first come to faith, there's that sort of saying that you are on fire for God. And then as you journey in faith, you go through the ups and the downs of life, don't you? And then you try to pass that faith off onto your children. And sometimes the passion that you have is not the same as the passion that your children carry from you. That's what we see at play here. This is likely a group of second-generation Christians. This book is, or this letter is typically considered to be written at the end of the first century, so you have moved quite a distance in terms of years from the work of Christ on earth. And so you have a group of people that are challenged in their doctrine, and they become a bit apathetic. And it is in the face of these challenges that John writes, and he declares this moral test that is going to give you and I and all who read this letter the assurance of our faith. And the first test is that we would know God, we would obey Him. To know God is to obey Him and to obey His Word and to walk in His ways. You see, those who know God 
are those whose lives are aligned with the teachings of Christ. Those whose lives reflect biblical doctrine. Those who walk in the ways of the Lord. These are the men and the women and the children who have an authentic faith. Now I want to pause right here. And I want to be incredibly clear about what I just said. Those are not the ways you come to faith. Doing those things, walking in God's ways, is not how you come to faith. It is not how you become a believer. That is not how you become a follower of Christ. Walking in the ways of God does not earn you anything in your relationship with God. This is one of the reasons, if you've ever seen a baptism, when we have the baptistry set up over here, and when Pastor Ben or myself are going to dunk someone under the water, what we always ask them is, are you trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? It's not Jesus plus what I do. Are you trusting in Christ alone for your salvation? You see, baptism is like what we're seeing here. It is a response. It's an act of obedience to what Jesus has already done in our life, drawing us to the point of repentance and faith. You see, a genuine faith puts into practice what we already agree with intellectually and believe in our hearts. This is why I often refer to our faith as a head, heart, and hands faith. I believe that with all of my being. We live out our faith based on what we believe to be true in our head and in our heart and what we practice. You see, there is simply no true knowledge of God that is not accompanied by righteous living. You say, wow, that that sounds really harsh. No, it really doesn't because God himself is righteous. And if we are truly in him, we will live in that righteousness. And I want to overstate my point for just a second. Our faith is not works-based. We don't earn anything from our good living. Instead, our faith will cause us to do good works. Our faith will cause us to live in such a way that follows the teachings of our Lord. Why? Because Jesus is our source of righteousness. As we have faith in him, he is our source of righteousness. Listen to what he said in John's gospel. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless what? Unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Those are the words of Jesus. 
And the Apostle John is simply helping us see with great clarity the truth of what Jesus told us in the gospel account. If we truly know God through faith in his son, it will impact and influence the way we live. It will impact us. This is why I often refer to uh, us, those of us in faith, with a different term than kind of is used culturally. Culturally, uh, if you go out on the street, many people would say that we are Christian. And that may be true, but I think it is an overused, kind of muddied term. I think a term that is more accurate, has more depth to it, is that you and I are christ followers. It's a phrase that I use often. We are Christ followers because we are following the example of the person and the teachings of our Lord Jesus. That means you and I are Christ followers. And because of Christ, His Word influences the way we parent. And because of Christ, His Word influences the way we spend our money. And because of Christ, all of those things influence the big ticket items like our career and the small things like the way we treat our neighbor. And for some reason, for some reason in our culture today, it is easy to cast aside biblical obedience. It's like, yeah, you know what, I have my favorite parts of Scripture and I'll kind of focus on those, but the rest of it is really not a big deal. According to John, if you and I are in Christ today and yet fail to walk in God's ways, we are liars. I don't like to be called a liar, and I'm guessing you don't either. So I'm going to give us a challenge as we begin our new year. You guys ready for a challenge? That's two of you. You guys ready for a challenge? Okay, here we go. I want you to come alongside someone and invite them into your life. I don't know who this is. It could be a spouse. It could be a sibling. It could be a friend. It could be a coworker. I want you to invite someone in your life who knows you to examine your life, to give you an honest assessment. We all have those people in our lives who would say, oh, you're holy you're awesome. That's not what I'm talking about. That's nice. That helps our ego a little bit, but that's not exactly what I'm talking about. I want you to ask them to evaluate if you are a branch that is connected to the vine. I want you to take the mirror that is God's Word. That's what John is inviting us into, to examine the truth of God's Word with your life to examine it. Does my life reflect the teachings of God's Word? That's what I want you to ask your friend. So this week, that's the challenge. Does my life reflect what God's Word teaches? You see, walking in the ways of God Walking in the truth of the Scripture should never be a burden for God's people because we live out of the overflow of God's grace and His mercy and His love for us. 
So it should never be a burden. Now, let's continue on in our text and get to the second test. Let's pick it up at verse 7. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in Him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is the light and hates his brother is actually still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother Whoever loves his brother is the one that abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Here John moves us to the second test. He moves us to that time where we are going to be evaluating our social interaction. You see, in the previous verses, you'll notice that John affirms believers to walk in God's ways by walking in the commandments. Now, I want to make this very clear. We are New Testament believers. Christ has come and fulfilled the law, but that does not mean that the law disappears and should have no influence in our lives. It actually should. We should be a people who live in accordance with the Ten Commandments as a guide for our lives. But when we get to this text, John points directly to something that he calls the new commandment. And in doing this, what he's doing is he's making a direct connection with the words that Jesus gave to his disciples that John captured in his gospel account in chapter 13. It's one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. Here's what Jesus says. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The progression of thought there is pretty clear. If a person knows God in faith, he will seek to keep God's commandments. And if he is seeking to keep God's commandments, he will then love others in practical and significant ways like Jesus taught us to do. And this provides us the second attribute of a genuine faith. To know God is to love His people. To know God deeply and truly and authentically means that we are called to love His people. Now, for some of us, we might be thinking, uh, yeah, kind of knew that in church. I get it. It's kind of basic. Is it? I mean, we've heard it before, but is it that basic in practice? You see, the guidance that John gives from God's Word here isn't new, actually. 
It has deep roots in the Old Testament scriptures. I want you to consider Deuteronomy 6.5. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. We're probably familiar with that text. Then you fast forward to Leviticus and it says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So the Lord is the one who is telling us that we should love him and we should love our neighbor. And then Jesus, he gives us this new commandment. And the cool thing about this new commandment is that it finds its fulfillment and its perfection in Christ, in him. This is why John writes the famous words of John 3, 16 and 17 that most of us have seen a time or two. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, oftentimes that's where the quote stops. But the second part, verse 17, is actually equally significant. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, through Jesus. And this is why. Verses 3 through 6, verses 7 through 11, all find their foundation in verses 1 and 2 of today's chapter. Let me read that again. I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Who is the advocate? Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation or the penalty for our sins. And not for ours alone, but also for the sins of the whole world. You see, because of the love of Jesus, that serves as the foundation for any act of love that you or I offer to someone else. It is rooted in Christ because Christ sacrificed himself on the cross to take away your penalty of sin and to take away mine as well. But he did more than that. In doing that, what he gave us was an example of love. You see, we can love others sacrificially because Jesus did it first and he modeled it for us. Now, as I close today, I want to share the story of a pastor and a theologian named Francis Schaeffer. Many of you may be familiar with him. Uh, what we may not know is that after serving a couple of churches here in the U.S., he had the call of God to move to another part of the world. He and his wife, Edith, uh, packed up their belongings and they moved to Switzerland to begin something called uh, Labrie, which was a study center. It was a place for people who were investigating the faith to ask difficult questions. It was a place for believers to be strengthened in their faith. And it was up there in the Swiss Alps after Francis Schaeffer had started this study center and was receiving guests. About two years into that, he had a bit of a crisis of faith. He had a crisis of faith because of all the, scene, the things that he had seen and that he had heard in the context of the church. Infighting, gossip, political gamesmanship. 
a bunch of stuff that should not be in the context of the church and it should not be in accordance with the people who follow the teachings of God's word. And it messed with Schaefer to such a degree that he began to question his faith. So Francis Schaefer ultimately returned to the scriptures. And once again, he found delight in the truth of the biblical text because it was there that he discovered once again that the central theme of the whole Bible is God's love shown to us. And the dependent love that we are to show God in return. This is why one of Francis Schaeffer's famous quotes, is so significant for you and for me today. Love, Schaefer writes, is the distinguishing mark of the Christian life. Love. Church, we love because God in Christ first loved us. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.